Hi, hello, how are you, and how's it going? Welcome to the Bloody Stream Podcast. I'm Brian, and I am currently flying solo this week. I hope everybody else is doing well, because as always, solo episodes make me super nervous. But I think we're going to be fine, because I have notes in front of me. Um, For logistical stuff... um, we will have the updates for streaming stuff next week once Jorge is back. And uh, the mentions that I have are for this episode specifically. So I'll just leave them for when I talk about the movies we're going to talk about. Now, I say movies because I'm doing something a little bit different. It's nothing too off the beaten path. But um, as you can notice in the title... There's two movies, and there's a little bit of a subtitle, because I wanted to do, I guess, it like an editorial type thing, um, just talk about a larger topic within the scope of these two films. Because I did go to the movies this weekend, and I did see Saw X, and I saw, more importantly, I think, The Exorcist Believer. Um, the reason I say more importantly isn't because it was the better film, but I think it has more interesting points to what I want to talk about here, um, which the main thing I want to talk about is the legacy sequel. Um, I didn't want to specify horror in this because the broader point extends to everything from franchises like uh, Indiana Jones and Star Wars down to things like The Exorcist or more obscure things that get sequels much later. Um I was about to put Blade Runner in there, but I like the Blade Runner sequel, so I don't think... (laughs) Actually, it would still work, but um, that absolutely still applies as a legacy sequel. Um, Basic definition is, I think you can get it from the examples I brought up, but it's a movie series that gets its sequels 10 plus years after its sort of original run of things. Um that utilizes and is specifically there for um, nostalgia purposes in a lot of ways, or at least gets you hooked on that potential return to something you liked when when you were younger. Um, This isn't going to be a straightforward review of the two films. I'll talk about both of them. We'll go into the spoiler configuration to be safe, because I'm definitely going to be talking about events in the movies. However, um, it's not going to be the typical thing where we run through both plots um, because I'm going to be talking about different things. And also because Jorge wanted me to leave some Saw X for them when they came back. And I'm happy to do that, as always. Um, I'm mainly going to be talking about... And this is, I feel like this is sort of in this essay, I will. But um, I'm definitely going to be talking about the motive behind these types of sequels. And where Saw X and The Exorcist Believer succeed and fail as legacy sequels. Um, We'll be talking about them as quality of movies as well, but I do plan to be talking about them mainly as they relate to the franchise they are involved with. Um, So without further ado, let's hop on that mattress, do a sensual thumb circle to open the spoiler configuration. Now, The Exorcist Believer is the fifth movie in the Exorcist series. Um, If you're not a horror fan, you may be going, 
what are you talking about? How are there five movies in this series? Um, the basic gist of the Exorcist series of films is the original comes out. It's a surprise hit. It's an instant classic sort of thing. Um, a few years later, The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, comes out and is an absolute fever dream, I think is the best way to describe it or the most charitable way to describe it. Um, it's got a lot going on and we'll probably do an episode at some point because I think it is on Max or some service at the point. If you want to look it up, you can go to thebloodystream.com. Uh, that comes out, it's not till 1990 when the third movie comes out, which is written and directed by the actual author of the original book, The Exorcist, William Peter Blatty, who did have input on the first Exorcist film. Um, he makes Exorcist 3, which is, uh, I watched, I, we talked about it as an earlier mention, I think is very good. I think it's the only other one that holds up to The Exorcist of the series. Like, 1 and 3 are the ones to watch. Almost 10 years later, in 2004, there are two of the same movie brought out as Exorcist prequels. It's a really long, really weird story, but basically, uh, Paul Schrader was commissioned to, was hired to make Exorcist 4, a prequel to The Exorcist. And the studio's did not like it at all and were so worried about it that they got someone else to come in, reshoot a bunch of stuff, re-edit a bunch of stuff, and made Exorcist the beginning. That flopped, shockingly, and eventually they also just released Paul Schrader's version. So there's Exorcist the beginning and Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist, which is hands down top five, top ten worst uh, subtitles I've seen for movies in quite some time. Um, but that's in 2004, and it's not until 2023, this year, when The Exorcist Believer comes out, which is the latest entry into this franchise, with plans to make at least two more Exorcist movies. So that's The Exorcist. Saw, we have a whole um, episode on the entire franchise. Go listen to that if you want to hear about it. But... As you know from there, the last Saw movie that came out was actually Spiral in 2021. So when you hear me say Saw X is a legacy sequel, it's like, that's only two years ago. Jigsaw, which is the last movie that Tobin Bell featured or was in, was in 2017. Even then, uh, six years ago. For me, the real one I'm counting here is the end of the actual original Saw series, which was Saw 3D, which came out in 2010. So that would put this at 13 years from the last time Tobin Bell and this sort of Saw movie had come out. Because Jigsaw and Spiral are kind of offshoots. They're all in the same timeline or like the canon, whatever you want to call it, but they don't they're not, like, the same, if that makes any sense. Um, so, those are the two franchises we're dealing with. Those are the two splits we're dealing with. Now, the only other difference is... Um, I mentioned those other movies in the Exorcist series, but the Exorcist Believer 
specifically is only a sequel to the original film. So, instead of a 19-year gap between the last film and the current film, Exorcist Believer is trying to put a 50-year gap between the film, the original film, and this sequel follow-up, which does a lot. Um, David Gordon Green, who directed this, came off, has recently come off of the new Halloween trilogy, which I believe we have an episode on Halloween Kills. Um, we did not like that series. The first one, Halloween 2018, which does the same thing. It's the original Halloweens, again, from 1976, I want to say. I'm looking it up right now, I swear. Uh, 1978. It was a 40-year difference, um, which was which Halloween 2018 is a direct sequel to the original film. So he's doing this again, but with The Exorcist now. The, by the way, the Halloween series I'm also going to be briefly talking about because it's own screwed up sense of things for legacy sequels. But um, with that being said on the franchises, I really hope I didn't muck that up too much. Um, let's go through a quick run through of the plots of Saw X and The Exorcist Believer. Saw X features John Kramer, Jigsaw played by Tobin Bell, um, looking for a treatment for his terminal brain cancer. Um, this is an in-between story. It's... Jigsaw is known in the world. I'm not sure the exact point where this movie is set, but it's definitely before Saw 3. I think probably in between, like, 1 and 2. It's somewhere around there. But... Uh, oh, no, sorry. It is... Yeah, it's between 1 and 2. Definitely, I think, post one for sure. Um, it features John Kramer looking for a cure. He gets scammed by this group of supposed doctors. Um, and with the help of Amanda, takes revenge by putting them in a game to see if they truly deserve to live after taking away the hope of himself and others who sought medical treatment for their seemingly inoperable uh, diseases or conditions. Um, really simple plot. Really good that they don't add too many unnecessary frills to it. Yeah, simple and effective. Exorcist Believer is the story of... What is his name? Come on, here we go. Victor Fielding, plays by, played by Leslie Odom Jr., um, who loses his wife during the uh, earthquakes in Haiti and uh, ends up his pregnant wife during the earthquakes in Haiti and his daughter Angela is born from that situation. Uh, 12 years later, 13 years later, Angela and her friend Catherine are go into the woods and are lost for three days before miraculously coming back out, having no real memory of what happened. We begin to learn as we meet Catherine's parents, as well as Victor's neighbors and friends. Um, we begin to learn that Angela and Catherine are possessed by a demon, which they're, the two girls are possessed by one demon, which I'll get into this in a second, but the two girls are possessed by one demon um, who ends up 
uh, they go through the effort to figure out that there is a possession going on. Victor contacts Chris McNeil, who is the mother of Reagan McNeil from the first film. Um, they begin to try to confront the demons and they realize that they have to bring together multiple people from different um, religions and different practices to help in this exorcism. And they go through the exorcism. Angela and Catherine are taunting them as this demon sort of thing, getting into belief and eventually making this, forcing this choice onto the people there of one girl can live and one girl dies. Um, a series of things happen, a series of discussions of faith and um, belief and connection and love and that sort of stuff gets brought up. And eventually, spoilers, big spoilers, um, he, the father chooses Catherine. That's what he does. He blurts it out and he chooses Catherine. The demon says, okay, and ends up doing a little trick. And Catherine is the child who gets dragged to hell and dies. And Angela is safe and set free from the possession. Um, that's a sort of really basic run on the plot. And very, like, I'll be getting into other notes as to what actually happens in there. Um, so yeah, those are the two plots. A lot to talk about in those movies, kind of fundamentally, but I want to leave this as a thing on sequels and I guess the why and how of a legacy sequel and what pitfalls the Exorcist Believer runs into. I'll give you quickie reviews. Um, Saw X, I would probably say... I would probably say is a smiley face, might even be a Mr. Cool, but um, it, I think it's one of the better Saw movies, you know what I mean? It's very out of pocket for one stance it basically takes. It's very fucking funny that you're like, this is in the same series as that, but um, it's a good movie. I would recommend it. I have no problem. Like, I think if you're a Saw fan, you'll definitely get a kick out of it, but if you're looking for something like intense brutal wise you could you'll get you'll enjoy it exorcist believer i'm probably gonna give a nauseous face i was thinking about this for a long time of going why not give it a smiley face and my thought was if someone was swiping by and said hey what about this i would tell them no i would say i don't want to watch that you shouldn't watch that sort of thing so i'm gonna give it a nauseous face um it's getting derided online a lot and I think it's not as abjectly terrible as people are saying, but I do think most of the criticism is warranted. And I'll bring up some of those points here. Um, yeah, so we'll talk about... Uh, we'll start getting into this concept of the legacy sequel and how The Exorcist Believer and Saw X are those things and where, they, where one goes wrong and the other tends to go right. Um... One of the main things I was thinking about when I was watching both of these was in this sequel, you're paying homage to the original thing, but you fundamentally want to be doing something new. You want to be doing something different. You don't want to be remaking it because otherwise you would just remake the film. You know what I mean? Um, and the question that I thought about was how far should one stray excuse me, 
stray from the original and change something up. And what's interesting is I think Exorcist Believer on the surface looks like it changes some more than Saw X does. I think Saw X looks like, oh, it's just another of the exact same fucking movies. But oddly enough, I'm pretty sure Saw X deviates enough from the originals that you do you go oh i can see the justification for this sequel being made whereas exorcist believer is surprisingly safe in a lot of the risks in quotes it's taking with the material like it talks about it 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 has a lot of superficial changes i.e the classic sequel issue you run into of okay we've just done this movie what's the follow-up on this Oh, do the same thing, but more. So this time, instead of one little girl being possessed, there are two little girls being possessed. Um, Which is what made the fact that it was one demon even weirder to me, because I was kind of hoping, like, oh, I would love two demons hanging out in here and having different personalities and, like, wanting the same thing but maybe wanting different methods or like the way they want to go through with it being different um something like that might have actually been an interesting pull but it's one demon just possessing two girls which itself is the same thing of going oh the demon was so strong in the first one this demon can possess two people this demon can do things like twist a person's head around when they only touch them like to twist somebody else's head around, not the the girl's head. Um, it's very weird as well because the plot is pretty much a truncated The Exorcist. Like, it is, for all intents and purposes, it's a remake in a lot of ways, except it's faster with things. It's why I went to watch the first one again, very specifically, because I have... The view in my head of what The Exorcist is, and I think a lot of horror fans have that same thing of they think about the highlights of it or like the cool, creepy moments. What I didn't realize until I was fully watching it again was The Exorcism is like the last 15 minutes of the film. The entirety of the film is this character drama on Ellen Burstyn, Chris McNeil, and Father Damien Karras, the two main characters we kind of deal with, exploring what it means to gain faith, what it means to have your faith shaken, and the damage and effects that all of those things do in your life. Um, Chris McNeil just watches, you know, her daughter gets possessed fairly early on, and spends a bunch of time just trying to, using all of the rational tools she has in her toolbox to try and figure out what's going on with her child to the point that she's so desperate she has to go to a priest and treat the idea of possession by a demon seriously. Um, and Damien Karras, Father Karras, goes through a similar thing. He watches his mother deteriorate and pass away, and he's struggling with his own sense of being in the church and why he should be in it um, and ultimately comes into this conflict and has to explore 
what it means to have faith in something and the consequences of that faith being tested and shaken. Um, a similar theme is discussed in The Exorcist Believer, to be fair, um, with Victor Fielding, the main character, Angela's father. We have a full arc on him losing faith because of his wife passing away, um, him starting to gain it back here, and how love and those sort of emotions intertwine with faith in and manifest themselves sort of in his life. I'm talking about it in a very generous, broad kind of way. The movie does not spell a lot of this out. Um, and I was thinking about it in the original Exorcist. There's a moment where Father Karras says to his priest friend, um, who he's asking for a transfer out of where uh, out of his uh, priest uh, out of his church at the moment. Uh, he's a psychiatrist for uh, clarification, and he basically says, "I think I'm losing my faith." Like he just out and out says it. Sometimes I would go, "That is hackneyed nonsense," and wow, you're just sort of saying it. But the way he puts it together and the way the film is structured, I think it's fine because he's confiding in this priest formally telling this sort of thing um we don't get as much of that in exorcist believer we get a lot of other people talking about their faith and victor reacting to that by kind of making a face leslie odom jr is good as an actor i like him i like his performances i think he does a pretty good job here with what he has um but it's mostly just sitting and watching people make some speeches and then getting his chance to make a big speech. Um, that's the sort of big thing with regards to how much the exorcist believer veers, kind of stays in the same lane while acting like it's changing. I think that's my big pet peeve with it, is saying it's a new take when it's mostly the same take. Saw X doesn't really have that... Um, Position, I guess, would be the way, like, it doesn't seem like it's trying to rewrite, you know, reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Um, it spends a lot of time cutting away the fat of a lot of the other movies, which were really concerned with body count and gore and violence. Quite a bit of that in here, trust me, but let me put it this way. There's like five victims total. In most other Saw movies, that's a laughable amount of victims. You know what I mean? Um, it's similar to the first one, which has like four, maybe five actually. Um, and what it does with that time is it spends time, because they're the most interesting characters, it spends time with John Kramer and Amanda. It actually gives them a chance to talk about what's what they are doing or what they believe they aren't doing, you know, to the whole jigsaw doesn't kill people thing. Um, it gives you a chance to actually look behind the scenes as they're playing out a game, which for John Kramer in this case is personal. He is taking revenge specifically because he was scammed out of a chance at life. Once again, you know, his hope was taken away from him 
by this woman doctor and her subordinates. So now he is taking it out on them and how that sort of changes the feeling, I think, of the game for a few people, uh, including Amanda, who is assisting him, uh, who is assisting him when one of the players in the game is a recovering drug addict. So Amanda has this immediate sort of sense of, oh my God, um, companionship to them. But yeah, so Saw X on its surface looks like it's just going to be another Saw film, but it does plot and character wise take a detour to inspect something, to interrogate something we haven't really had a chance to actually see in the Saw films. Um, this gets into my second point, which is what are you changing and why are you changing it? I think is the more important part here. Because again, a lot of the Exorcist Believer stuff is changed for the sake of change. Or at least it feels like that. Let me put it that way, um, in my opinion. A lot of it is changed to say you're doing something different. Where to the story and characters, it doesn't much matter. Um, the main thing that's different is a Catholic preach, it, priest is approached to do the exorcism and, um, to his credit, takes it seriously and, you know, wants to do it, but is told no by the church, which is the whole thing in the first one. Again, right at the end, which was so. I kept looking at the bar at the bottom of the screen, like, when are they doing the exorcism? <laughs> like, they're talking in a church about approving it, and it's like 15 minutes are left in the movie, and you're like, what the fuck? Um, but they do that. They do that, to, and the, the twist being like, oh, the priest can't do it. So, basically, Victor, um, Miranda, and Tony, who are Catherine's parents, the other child's parents, the three of them, along with Victor's neighbor, Miranda and Tony's Baptist preacher, Stuart, who is Victor's other friend, and um, I forget her name in this. Where is it? Please, please, please. Oh, my God. Um, Dr. Bahibe, who is a friend of Stuart's? An advisor of... Oh, Chris is his name. I'm sorry. Chris is the name of the friend. Um, no, sorry. It is Stuart. Jeez Louise. Um, is a friend of his and is a root work healer. So we have multiple different um, denominations. We have different religions. We have different practices in use during this um, exorcism. Which fundamentally is great, actually. It's very interesting to look at other, you know, the way other religions or cultures, practices handle this idea of possession and exorcism, if it's even in there at all, and what they do against it. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's great. What's in there that's odd to me is doing that eventually the Catholic priest comes back in and decides to help and starts doing a pretty good exorcism and doing damage and then is killed off for it. And he's, other than Catherine, he's like the only other person who dies in this movie. It's actually a surprisingly low body count. 
Um, which is fine. I don't actually have a problem with that, but it is like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, it kind of comes out of nowhere. You're like, holy goodness. It feels very... Um, this gets into the why you change something. It feels a lot like David Gordon Green and company are trying to like correct some things from the original film. And I get a little confused about that because the things they bring up are like, are odd as film criticisms. Maybe inside of the film, it was felt this way. There is a silly line of Chris McNeil, Ellen Burstyn from the original film, uh, sitting there bringing up that she couldn't, she was kicked out of the original, let me see if I can find the exact line. Um, basically, it's brought up. I guess the priest didn't let me watch my daughter's exorcism because of the patriarchy. It's it's a little bit different in there. I'm paraphrasing, but it is a joke about saying, I guess, because of the patriarchy. Fundamentally funny and silly. Odd to be in this movie. That's the only thing I'll say is like, it's a weird moment of attempted levity where you're like, why, why are you doing this now? What is happening here? Um, but also re-watching that film, it's an, it's an odd criticism to make of it because all of the movie is about Ellen Burstyn. <laughs> it's, it's a full discussion and character study on her with this, you know, arc of despair and desperation and finding the strength. Like, first of all, an incredibly strong person to just keep going and finding anything she can because she loves her daughter so much and is willing to do this to defeat this thing. Um, but it, it is just like a weird, like, it's an odd line where you're like, I don't know what to make of this in here. Um, either way, it's whatever. Um, it, but that, that that's the sort of vibe that I get from a lot of the changes is that kind of line is to say, hey, we know that the original film is from the 70s, so it must be fundamentally problematic, even though there are themes of feminism inside of The Exorcist originally. It's a whole thing that I won't get into now because I don't have it fully formed, so I don't want to sort of talk out of my ass. Um, but it's like a lot of... If you remember the Disney live-action remakes coming out, Beauty and the Beast is the easiest example but all of them have these sort of things of changing around stuff changing minor things around in the story as an attempt to correct the seemingly problematic elements of the original story sometimes they're warranted and sometimes they're not this one i love the idea of having different practices and religions involved in it i actually think that is very cool as a fundamental idea they treat it a little bit like the avengers in the way they talk about it in the movie which is very silly <laughs> but the like the idea of it is fun i think it's good actually because i want to see other people 
doing these things. I, I'm a recovering Catholic in that regard. So I'm like, I get it. I watch them do, you know, sign of the cross on sort of stuff, Adam, maybe give somebody else a shot. Um, it just feels weird. Like they're patting themselves on the back for having the idea and not executing it to its full potential, I think is the biggest point for me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a sort of what are you changing and why kind of thing with The Exorcist. It's a lot of changing seemingly to give themselves a pat on the back is what it feels like. Like I'm, I'm just bringing this up as like how it comes across in it because the story is happening of Victor. And it, that's this is the other main part of having the change of two girls instead of one girl be possessed is we've now lost focus. In the first one, we sit with Reagan and Chris the whole time. We watch Reagan as she is. We see their interactions. We see the things, you know, she notices things that Chris didn't think she noticed. And she comments on her life. You see her starting to mature. She's 12 or 13 in this. She's starting to mature, you know, into a person. You know, she's she's moving on from just being this sort of child to Chris. And she's dealing with that and then this sort of event happens and we see this full decline into demonhood which is terrifying um but in this since there's two girls we have to split the time and i think for me it's more crucial is we don't split the parents time the parents don't the uh, miranda and tony the parents of catherine don't really have an arc to follow like Victor does. Victor is clearly the main character, clearly the protagonist, and is going through and a full, you know, emotional arc. But we don't have, you know, we can't sit with that too long because if we do, we sacrifice time with this other family that we also need to do something with because their daughter is also possessed. Um, that's the choice the movie ends up making, by the way, is they just sacrifice character moments and progression on Miranda and Tony in favor of doing Victor's storyline, which again becomes, why don't you just have one girl be possessed? Like, why are two girls possessed in this? The main answer to me seems to be because it's more intense that there are two people possessed. Um, so that's the big thing on the whys for Exorcist Believer. Saw X, like I said, changes a couple of tone things like the frenetic editing of the saw movies when people are in a trap is always it's like a staple it's very 2000s but it's very obvious it's a very signature style and that's toned down here which i think ends up being good partially because of where the characters are at in terms of kind of who's right and who's wrong in this which is its own fucked up thing but um we get it toned down so we, because I think mostly because it was very 2000s. And this is the other big part of a legacy sequel like this is you're dealing with cultural shifts. You're dealing with filmmaking shifts. You're dealing with multiple different things, multiple different practices, cultural uh, milestones that have been passed since that first movie. So you have to, on some level, adapt to where you're at now and i think saw x does a great job of that style wise by keeping the signature elements of a lot of things 
for example, when I watch the film, the editing is much different. And hilariously, this was directed by the editor of all the Saw films. So he actually knows what he's talking, like, you know, what he's doing here, which is very cool to see, to be frank. Um, this place looks like a Saw film. You know what I mean? It's very grimy. It's very gritty. It's dark and the lighting is very interesting. But it's not exactly it doesn't look exactly the same it's not the blown out soft focus in certain scenes you know it's shot more starkly it's shot more um it's shot closer to a movie that would be shot now um but it does still incorporate the elements of what makes a saw film a saw film inside of it um without tarnishing either way without refusing to adapt or um adapting too much and making it unrecognizable from any other movie in the series. Um, I think it threads that needle incredibly, although the movie takes place in Mexico, and folks, if you've watched a TV show or a movie that's set in Mexico, you know what I'm about to talk about. They use the Mexico filter on the camera for the entire movie. <laughs> you, if you watch Breaking Bad, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you watch anything in the past 15 to 20 years, that has a scene in Mexico, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so it still falls for some traps, hilariously, um, that any sort of filmmakers end up ending up dealing with. Um, as for The Exorcist, Believer runs into the issue of filmmaking-wise going full into modern horror. Not necessarily a bad thing, it's just that that means the because the filmmaking is fundamentally different um, in so many ways, you run into the idea of then they have to put in a lot more just visual signs that this is the exorcist. Um, there's a lot of shots, like compositions of shots that are the same. There's, a, there's dogs fighting in the foreign location at the beginning of the movie, which is an exact, uh, it's Iraq instead of Haiti, and it's a different character who's there at the beginning of Exorcist, though. Um, but you get these certain, like, visuals that you, they just have to put in um, to say we're part of the Exorcist series, um, which cheapens it a little bit, but this isn't my biggest gripe. Like... I'm okay with modern horror movies, but, um, so, so, like, the actual changes to the filmmaking style aren't as severe to me, or, like, I don't go, like, oh, my God, this is fucking terrible, but there are some things where you can see them making a modern, trying to make a modern horror film in every minute of the film, if this makes sense. At the beginning of The Exorcist, for most of the movie, it is shot like a drama. It's shot like, you know, a normal film would have been shot in the 70s. Um, the beginning of the stuff with Chris and Reagan, because there's this part at the beginning. But, like, the beginning of the story proper, it's shot like a normal movie. In Believer, it's, you can feel that it's already, like, we're in a horror movie, this is a scary horror time, even though nothing is really happening. Um, which for me kind of cheapens when it gets scary because you've been 
partially on edge the entire time. So it doesn't really escalate, if that makes sense. You just sort of have this underlying feeling of being uncomfortable when nothing is happening. And you're like, okay, like why? What's going on here? Um, That's my big thing about it is you run into that sort of stuff when you're making these sort of movies. Um, The final thing I wanted to talk about and this has been a big old ramble, but whatever. I hope everyone's still here and enjoying it. Um, the big thing with a legacy sequel for me is they trot out, and I'm using the cynical term there, they trot out an older actor for a lot of these movies. Um, I'm going to bring up a couple of examples that are all Harrison Ford <laughs> because he's done it. <laughs> he's the poster child for this. But... Um, He's brought back in Blade Runner 2049. He's brought back in Indiana Jones. He's brought back in Star Wars Episode 7. Um, quite a number of things. And the examples here are uh, in Exorcist, Ellen Burstyn from 50 years ago is playing, reprising her role as Chris McNeil, the mother of the original possessed girl, Reagan McNeil. Um, in... This one's a little cheating, but I think it still does hold true because she hasn't been in one for forever. But uh, the actress who plays Amanda from the original three films, Shawnee Smith, comes back finally in this film. I believe she has quite a long drop uh, in time, because I think the last time she's in, yeah, she's in a lot of ones that are like flashbacks and stuff, but briefly sort of seen. Uh, three is one of the last ones she is a major character in, um, and that came out in 2006. So she's had a bit of a, a bit longer um, gap between films. So she's, for me, she's the one that they're treating as the legacy character they're bringing back. Um And the question for me there is, why are they returning and what are they doing to further this story? So if you're doing a new story in this franchise, why is this older character there? How are they furthering it? Um, And again, with Saw X, the story itself is a simple one and it is also a prequel. You know, like it's inside um, the middle of the series. So it's a little bit tougher to deal with, but um, Amanda is there to flesh out her own character and flesh out Jigsaw's character in what it means to run a game and what it means to run into people who are, by your estimations, worse than you. And to be fair, in that movie, the main lady they go after does kind of prove to be as bad. I'll say as bad, because Jigsaw's a serial killer and Amanda is also a serial killer. Um, As bad, if not worse, than them. Um, So we get a lot of character notes. The story itself is, how does Jigsaw cope with revenge? It's I'm sounding so thoughtful about Saw 10 when this has a scene where a guy does brain surgery on himself so don't (laughs) please don't get my words twisted that this is like a hereditary or anything like that it's a saw movie it's a good saw movie that has character development but it's a saw movie don't worry (laughs) 
Um, uh, but yeah, that's sort of their contribution. Another good example um, I'll, I, that I brought up was Blade Runner 2049. Because Harrison Ford comes back as his original char- as his character from the original Deckard. Um, to give backstory on a lot of things or to give context to information we get but to also show and demonstrate the effects of time on characters in this world and to demonstrate um emotional depth you know like the 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 character isn't just there to say hello the character is there as a counterpoint to Ryan Gosling's character as well as a um as well as a plot sort of device that completes where he was at from the original film um which which I think works very well Ellen Burstyn in The Exorcist Believer is fundamentally a cash grab um it's a good cash grab and good on Ellen Burstyn for getting it because basically she talks about why she came back and she admits it was for the money. Um, And the way she talks about it though is great because she says like, oh, I didn't want to do it. They offered me a bunch of money. They came back and they basically doubled it and she said, okay. And what she did was she basically got them I think she got them to do it or either took the money and just did it herself was setting up a scholarship fund for upcoming actors at like the school she either works at or is a fan of sort of thing. So she basically got some people who who need it some free, you know, some scholarship funds so they can actually go and pursue acting. Um, <laughs> it reminds me. This one's a more cynical one, but it reminds me of the Michael Caine quote from jo- on Jaws The Revenge, which was, I have never seen it, but by all accounts, it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. Um, so, <laughs> that's definitely the vibe I get from her performance in here. Um, she's fine. She's not doing much, mostly because there's not much to do. Um... Once you get in, like, you know, her part in the plot is explaining that exorcisms are real to Victor Fielding. Um, But kind of. She wasn't, again, she wasn't in the room for it, but she knows bad things happen and it's, you know, a real ordeal. It's, it's you know, it's something that's real. Um, But she, they, like, the way the writers and directors handle this is they kind of treat her like, she's one of the priests from the original because she walks in on one of the girls, she walks in on Catherine at her house and is like, we've met before to the demon. And it's like, okay, what are you going to do right now? And to the movie's credit, the movie goes nothing. She's not going to do anything. Um, She gets sidelined very quickly. She has like a total of 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes of screen time. Um, And they, the big thing for me is, I think it's important to, you know, continue or service the new story, even if the old character isn't getting a full arc or a conclusion of their storyline, I think it's fine to have them be in the place they are and service, you know, be a side character now 
to the new story that's being told. They kind of do that here, but they also try to close off her story by creating a conflict between her and Reagan after the events of The Exorcist and then reuniting them at the end of the film, which feels very cheap to me. It feels a lot like, look, remember this character? They're now hugging again. It's so good. Um, which the struggle for me is, if you're a fan of The Exorcist, you've seen the movie and you know what it is, so you're like, okay, this seems odd. This doesn't make any sense from when I last watched them. This feels silly. Or if you're not a fan of The Exorcist, you're going, I don't care about these two people hugging in here. They don't mean anything to me. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? It feels very... Again, it feels very performative in its efforts to justify spending all that money on Ellen Burstyn to bring her back into the movie as a name value, you know, as a name brand type person. Um, so that's that's my big thing. It's... I really think The Exorcist Believer is, I guess, my closing sort of encapsulation on this is... My closing thought is Saw X knows what it is, knows what it wants to do with its characters, and has an actual story to tell. Um, it's a Saw movie, so the story is how can we vacuum this guy's eyeball out of his eye, but it actually does try to broaden, uh, sorry, go in depth on the characters that you've seen for so long doing this, from a new angle. Like, normally we're very victim-focused in um, the Saw films. And so, this time, we fully are with Jigsaw and Amanda as they go about this. And how they feel as they are doing this. Um, and the reasons they end up doing it. So, that sort of thing, I think, is more refreshing and an actual take that you go this can justify being a film the exorcist believer really runs into this problem of i wanted to make the exorcist or i wanted to remake the exorcist or something but didn't want to just have to directly compare to the original so i made what is essentially a reboot of the series that's just mostly the first one sped up. And all that does is, in my opinion, these ty and it, it works for all of these. I think even stuff like Star Wars Episode Seven, um, the new Indiana Jones, like things like that, all this does is highlight the quality of the original film that you're um, remaking, in quotes, or rebooting. Paying homage to. I think that's the the best in quotes thing to say about these films. You're paying homage by doing the same film, le doing the legally distinct different film. Um, that's what it, it's, everything strikes hollow for me in Believer, even though there are people who are trying really hard in the performances, um, it looks okay. I think there's a bunch of CGI that's kind of silly in it, but whatever. Um, that's what it, it, it rings like a ho it rings hollow. 
it rings like we wanted to make money because we have the name The Exorcist, so we'll automatically make money. And for me, it makes it the lesser sort of sequel. Um, my hope is that we get more Saw X's or like a Blade Runner 2049. We get things that actually try to tell a new part of the stories that they're telling. Um, that's my main takeaway from all of this is if you're going to use an IP that people know, remember that they like it. So they know the story you already, they already told. So tell something new, actually new. Tell something out there that's actually different um, within that same universe. Um, yeah. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this. It's definitely a big ramble and I feel horrible about it. Go leave a review, like stuff, follow stuff, whatever the call to actions are these days. Uh, a big shout out to John from Eyes of Astoria for our theme song, Deadwalk. I want to say hit theme song, and it's true, so whenever I'm on, I'm going to say hit theme song, Deadwalk. Um, you can find us on social medias at Bloody Stream Pod, and we'll talk to you. Same bloody time, same bloody channel. <laughs>